Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. This is Inside with Outsiders. My name is Jeremy Scarry, and today's guest is Ariana Alexander Seffrey. Welcome. Hi. I'm excited to be here. I'm glad you're finally here. You know, you're one yeah. of the first few people when I when I when we came up with this concept, me and uh, Bams, mm. I had you in mind to be on the show. Well, amazing. Yeah. We're here. Um, you're you're uh, well. We're gonna get to know you on the show. Mm -hmm. uh, but you're kind of like an inspiration for me for what you do. Uh, with I've known you, I've known you with two companies, right? So, mm. Sweat and Sound. We'll get into that. But Sweat and Sound and what you're working on now, mm. and what you've achieved is inspirational. Like it's crazy what you've achieved, in my opinion, because like I, I I don't see myself ever being able to do what you've done, and it's incredible. Well, I would say the exact same about you, and I've said this since the beginning. You inspire me as well, so. So it's mutual beneficial so it's relationship. Mutual. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to stop uh, tooting our horns. And uh, <laughs> uh, where are you from? So I'm from London, born and raised. Um, actually, I grew up just outside of London in Essex, okay. which is um, it's like a county. And I went to school in Essex, but the house I grew up in is on the edge of London. So, um, yeah. I How far, I guess, uh, destination time-wise is... Essex from like downtown or the the heart of London so where I grew up is about 30 minutes into central London okay but then it's also like in countryside so my parents house is right next to a forest so oh, I wow. kind of grew up kind of going into the forest and stuff like we didn't grow up in a very big house but we had like greenery and stuff around are so they still there they are same They're place still there same place nice. yeah. I think it's always nice to to have, well, my mom grew up in an urban environment. I mean, sorry, I grew up in an urban environment where my mom currently still lives. Mm. But it was still nice, it's still outside the city. But my dad used to live in Connecticut, which was like, probably like an hour and change from Manhattan. But you get mm. to this house and it's like the, the woods. Mm. It's always nice to have that escape, you know, when you're, especially when you're under daily mm. grind. Mm. Yeah, being out in nature is just so important for like, us as humans mm. i mean have you heard about um the frequency of the earth are you talking about the same thing the same reason why people take their shoes off and um yes and do earthing earthing and yes. so there's actually bed sheets so it's i think it's like 3.46 something which you know in, in a plug plug socket and yeah. you have um three wires and one's mm -hmm. an earth energy line and that's op that kind of the frequency is 3.46 or whatever that frequency really? is so that is apparently the frequency of the earth and so that's why you know walking barefoot in grass is so nice and that's why kind of sitting on the beach and um, because when you put two frequencies together the dominant one will take over the less dominant one and as a human we're less dominant um, against nature so when we're in nature it will if we're there for long enough apparently our body frequency will start mimicking the frequency Really, I didn't, I didn't know that, but it makes sense because yeah. you look at what they do, like forest bathing, and that's something that um, Japanese culture really mm. values. And I think they, they, at least Toyota, they, I don't want to say force, but they mm. have each employee take a day to forest bathe a mm. month. It, I mean, this is a thing, like you can get earthing sheets for your bed, and they're quite expensive, but they, um, they have like... Um, like small wires stitched into this bed sheet and you put it on your bed, you turn it on and it will kind of operate at that frequency throughout the night. So then throughout the night, it's 
putting that really? frequency into your body. And you can literally look it up, like earthing sheets. They they exist and people yeah. people are, people swear by them for like anxiety relief and stuff. Really? So yeah, like this, I'm really interested in, genuinely really interested in what this can do for it's people. It's, and I don't think enough people know about it, you know? I've never heard of it, ever. And I've looked at things for, you know, stress, anxiety and so on. I've heard of like the weighted blankets. Oh yeah. I've never heard of, uh, of, of, vibrating blankets mm, basically that's what it is like you won't feel it vibrating but it's like it, yeah, it's essentially like, yeah how do you get rid of your anxiety a uh, vibrator <laughs> speak for yourself okay <laughs> anyway uh so you're you're from london yeah. born and raised uh tell us about what it's like growing up for you where you grew up um were you did you always go to school in essex when did you leave there Tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I went to school in the middle of Essex. So it was an international school um, where, so actually to get into this school, you have to prove that you value other cultures. So unless you're kind of in the kind of close catchment area, everybody, all the parents who get their kids into school, they're either you know, half this, half that, or they they emigrated from another country, or they have to prove that they value other cultures with their kids. So they have to say, you know, I've taught my kid French, or I've right. taught my kid Italian. Um, and so, yeah, so that just meant that my school was very, very mixed. So you, cool. you didn't have to prove that because you are... Well, I didn't... Well, yeah, we didn't need to really prove anything because it's just like I'm half Persian, so... Yeah. And we kind of had that. But yeah. um, I mean, I, I think they still needed to say, you know, we speak, um, my, you know, my dad speaks Farsi at home. You know, I learned Persian cooking. Like they still needed to fill okay. out a form. Yeah. <laughs> so you went, actually went to in, uh, uh, international school. So did I. Okay. I went to United Nations International School. Oh, Manhattan. really? Did yeah. you do the International Baccalaureate? No, because I didn't, I didn't graduate. So I went there until I was in the fifth grade and I went to school in another school. So I never finished. I didn't finish high school there. I didn't go to high school there. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So um, the school I went to, I, I don't know what the equivalent is in the US. Like we did A-levels so when you get to like 16 to 18. Um, is that I, the international baccalaureate? Yeah. So instead of A-levels, which is what you do age 16 mm -hmm. to 18, I did the international baccalaureate, which... Is, yeah. So a friend of mine, actually, uh, Darshan, who's part of Outsiders, he's our director of partnerships, mm. grew up in L.A., and his parents thought it would be a good idea for him to do that, which is different in compared to what other high schoolers do. Mm. And so they went out of their way to make sure he did that, and unfortunately, the schools didn't really understand how special that was. <laughs> so yeah. it really it went to waste, in a sense. I mean... Oh, that's a, sh that's yeah. a real shame. Yeah. Yeah, so in England, like, most people do A-levels, but um, it, the, the International Baccalaureate perfectly recognised it. And actually, it's harder than A-levels because yeah. you have to do six subjects. So, um, yeah, obviously, I'm just... <laughs> Saying it's harder to make myself look good. <laughs> I mean, I've heard it's harder. I, I, when I hear baccalaureate, I think about the French uh, studies and what it mm. takes to get your degree there. And I mean, my cousins who are in France, like finishing high school, go through hell trying to make sure they pass that because that determines whether or not they get into university mm. or if they can go to university. Mm. It's different yeah. for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's pretty much the same at home. So uh, when you were when you were doing this, did you know what you wanted to do? Did you know you want to go to university? Did you know where, what you wanted to study? I had absolutely no idea. Oh, let me crack so, this. I'm thirsty. Oh, yeah, I'm going to crack mine as well. I'm mimicking Bam's nice that, style. Is that the sound we wanted? Yeah, you want the nice <laughs> crack. Bam's uh, 
You, would you like that one? I'll, I'll make it a little bit louder and uh. And yeah, you were impressed by that one. Okay, <laughs> I'll try to impress you when I crack a can. Well, you know, listen, I I go when with the beer. To me, if the the can crack is really good, I know the beer is probably gonna be good. Okay. If it sounds like it's a dull crack, the beer is probably not gonna be good. Mm. By the way, I don't want to get sidetracked, but Bems and I are uh, there's this uh, Persian beer based out of New York, so a back home beer. Back home I, beer. I sent it to you, I think, on Instagram. You, I think you sent it to me on Instagram. And yeah, and it's run by a woman who seems incredible. Persian woman, it's awesome. Uh, and it's got different flavors. Got like the saffron one. They have uh, yeah. which is like this sour beer, but it's, so it's I like actually a noticed the um, a cherry one was on the menu at a restaurant. Um, yeah, oh, where was I? I can't remember where I was. A restaurant like downtown. Really? What um, kind of restaurant? Um, it was called Shaka or something. It was like a Middle Eastern gotcha. restaurant. Really, really good. And I noticed that one of the beers on the menu was back home beer. And I thought, oh, my gosh. We're trying to get her on the that show. That lady is hustling. She really is hustling. Of course, she's Mas. Persian. Persian. <laughs> Persian girls like to hustle, okay? Yeah. Oh, we have to work on your Persian. We actually do. <laughs> <laughs> why do you speak like this? Tell me why. <laughs> you know what? If I wasn't so tired, all right, okay, it yes, would be yes, a fantastic yes. accent. Blame that. Um, so what did you what did you want to be growing up? Because you you're an entrepreneur, uh, and I don't know. I want to know more about how you became an entrepreneur because you you had a job before that, right? You mm. were working. Yeah, for yeah. Okay. So how, what did you want to be growing up? Um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I. Looking back, I'm not sure I knew. I think I think I had signs way back when that I was meant to run my own thing, but I don't think I had the tools at the time to realize that that was a skill and not just mm. a hindrance that's going to stop me from fitting in with society. Right. <laughs> Do you and know what I mean? Because, because I think we're told that it's not a skill. We're taught. We're yeah, taught we're to told that you're like out fit of in. Yeah, exactly. And, I, and, I, and what were those signs? For me, those signs were I hated uh, following the group. I hated authority. I hated, yeah. you know, not in a negative way. I wasn't a troublemaker in that mm. sense, but more like I just didn't feel comfortable. How I didn't want to be a sheep. Yeah. Not, and not to say that people who work nine to fives are that because I have plenty of friends who who do that, and mm-hmm. I don't see them that way, but I felt that way working for someone else. Yeah, uh, yeah, because I guess I felt the same. Like, I was really bad with authority. Um, uh, like, I, yeah, I kind of felt like I didn't fit in. Like, there was nothing. I kind of, oh, it's, it's really hard to describe. Like, I'd keep having ideas, and I'd just want to run with it. And, like, I was very good at, like, running with an idea and putting stuff together yeah. and figuring it out and finding little opportunities and things and then kind of like running with it like Mm -hmm. people would always say oh my gosh you're so lucky i'm like no i'm not lucky i just like pull stuff together and opportunities come out of you know you you can create if you create enough opportunities good things just like come out of it and i just think that's what entrepreneurship is at the end of the day i agree i think when they say lucky i don't think they i don't think you should interpret it in the way you are interpreting it i Mm. think you're lucky in a sense that you're you're following through. A lot of people wouldn't follow through. So you okay. some of these ideas are ideas that that you come up with that maybe someone else has thought of, right? But then oh that'd be cool. And then it dies. Because they don't continue. Mm. The, the fact that it's different between us, uh people like you and I, is that uh we we have these great visions of of, of possibilities. We see a a, a need and want to figure out how to supply uh, supply it, right? Mm. Um most people 
don't go that far. Yeah, and that is true. And there is, I will be honest, I think there's a dark side to it as well. So I saw um, some research a while ago that said 40% of all entrepreneurs suffer with some kind of psychosis at some point throughout their life. And I was thinking, only 40%? <laughs> 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 There's probably no sleep. It's no yeah. well, that's it's also one like that's one of the major things, no sleep. Uh, for me, yeah. I think... I think the drive a successful entrepreneur has mm. is what fuels them, but also it can be detrimental because they may never feel that satisfaction of having achieved, you know? Mm. Uh, there's that. Um, th what, what fuels me sometimes, I don't like this, is fear, is anxiety, you mm. know? I have to do this because I'm feeling anxious that it's not done. Mm. Um, and we spoke a little about that last couple of days. Yeah. yeah, and like anxiety, it's so interesting because so many entrepreneurs have anxiety, but that makes sense because anxiety is a fear about what's going to happen in the future. And everything about entrepreneurship is planning for what's going to happen in the future and not for what's going to happen now. So it's the perfect combination. If you're going to have anxiety, you're much more likely to be an entrepreneur because you know right. you, you spend your life worrying about the future anyway. So he here's a job where you can just worry about the future, yeah. <laughs> isn't it? Yes. And it sucks. Cause I'd rather be. <laughs> it does. Cause I'd rather be fueled by passion. Mm. And granted, I think a little, a little worry of the future is good. Otherwise, you're gonna sit back and, and not plan for it, right? Exactly. But if I'm motivated by passion, I want I want to plan because I'm passionate about what it could be in the future, as opposed to the fear of what's gonna happen mm. if I don't do it in the future. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but knowing, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, I should we should realize that our personality types are never gonna let us not do it. Or yeah. So I've been trying to tell myself not stress out as much because you're never going to let yourself fail. Yeah, and I think that's why so many, um, and I, I, I mean this genuinely, I think a lot of entrepreneurs end up creating some kind of faith system. And so it might be, sometimes it's a religion, sometimes it's just some other kind of faith system because ultimately that's usually the key to solving anxiety because we, we don't have control over hardly anything right and so any way of surrendering mm -hmm. that need to control and just having faith that it will be okay whatever outlet that is it doesn't matter if it's religion it doesn't matter if it's like i don't know astro i was about to say astro cards they're not a thing <laughs> are they this lie to say it's a british thing and they'll believe you no it's <laughs> it's this really fancy british thing we have in london <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking about astrology and tarot cards oh, at the astro same time cards, yes <laughs> those basically <laughs> like whatever it is that you're going to have faith in like i think um a faith system is really important for yeah. overcoming anxiety i think for me it's something i've done for the last mm, two months maybe mm. and um uh, it's more of a mantra than, I guess, a faith system. Mm. But just telling myself every night that tomorrow, or trying to wake up and say, hey, it's a new day. Every opportunity I had yesterday is not the last of the opportunities I'll see moving mm. forward. So what is tomorrow going to bring me? Somebody else sent me this thing on Instagram. It was a little cheesy, but I liked it. It's uh, show me how good it can be or show me how good it can get. Mm. And I was like, okay, I like that. Because mm. it shows like things, things will get better they could come to you. You don't always have to facilitate them. And that's for me. I feel like I have to do everything myself. If it's not being done then by me, then it won't happen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm sure yeah. you have that as an entrepreneur. Yeah. I mean, definitely. I think I really had that with my first business. Um, really, really, really. Like, it yeah. burnt me out so much. Um, it was amazing. 
But Which business was that? That was Sweat and Sound. You want to tell so us a little bit what it, what it was? Yeah, so it was an immersive live music um, wellness events company. So we did um, live music events in secret locations, so like um, amazing historic churches, museums, um, warehouses, all these types of spaces, and we'd merge live music with wellness. So imagine like a yoga meditation with a live orchestra. That was our most popular events. Um, and then we did loads of other stuff in, you know, from yoga, meditation, mm. boxing, you name it. And it was all about pairing the live music with the fitness instructor. Right. Um, so, yeah, that was it was it was cool. Like it was amazing. The events genuinely were amazing. But, um, yeah, I felt like a lot. It was very like man. I, I pretty much did nearly everything. Like if I wasn't pulling all the pieces together or like I, I always think like if I was to, you know, God forbid, be in hospital for like two months. Nothing would happen. Like yeah. it's not going to happen. Yeah. Whereas with the company I've got now, um, a big one of my big objectives was making sure that I'd like brought people in to, m yeah. So so the company will still operate even right. if I kind of get hit by a bus. It's also a different <laughs> industry. <laughs> You're not gonna get hit by a bus, but it's also a different industry. You're not. It's You're yeah, very different live industry. events where now it's it's a tech company what you're doing uh, exactly. by the way but, but let's be thankful for your sweat and sound even though it's it's over right mm. you, you put it you put it to bed um but that's how so how we we connected as well because we is, met yeah well, seven years ago in new york because you mm. were studying or working yeah no I was, I was working out here yeah yeah, yeah. And then uh, I think I saw a couple of years later, I saw you posting about Sweat and Sound. I'm like, Wait, who, who is this again? Let me see. I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember. What is she doing now? Because I had started Outsiders already. Oh and then yeah. we did a collaborative event. We did the yoga and whiskey tasting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Adam uh, Bushwick. Exactly. That was great. And then we collaborated with that. And um, and yes, then we stayed in touch cause with that. And from there, I remember you were... You were putting together a few things for Sweat and Sound, but you came up with this uh, this new concept, this new this new business. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it actually kind of so I guess oh, so the story and what happened was you know I realized that working in the wellness world, so like and primarily it was yoga, meditation; those were the main things. It was a very older female. It was a very female middle class type of industry think yeah. of like the lululemon type of world i was just gonna say lululemon yeah it's you know that it, that's that's kind of the culture of mindfulness mental wellness all of that stuff at the moment and um in so and then a few things happened so um firstly actually one of my younger brother's best friends took his own life when they were 15 and then um two friends of mine within the following few months two friends brothers also took their lives so i i don't directly know the people that um, right. sadly passed away but um, I saw kind of my brother and his friends, they refused school therapy, refused school counseling. I worked in the world with all of these mental health tools, literally like coming out like low bar, easy to access mental health tools. And it was just so obvious that these are not gonna connect at all. And, and then I, I just started, I guess I just started feeling very angry and it probably was about a year of it took me about a year to kind of metabolize the fact that I was feeling, s there was like this anger kind of growing up inside me where I was seeing this world that had all of these tools that it's, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry, the wellness industry, and all of these tools that genuinely can help people metabolize emotions effectively. 
and they simply do not cater for the people that need it most. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's who are the people that need it most? So the people that need it most at the moment are young men in society. 80% of all suicides in the UK and US are male. And so I actually, my life is now, I, I'm basically, my life is dedicated to researching this topic. Um, and I'm actually, it's all, that's what the masters I'm doing is all about. I've written like three um, dissertations on it. Where are you doing your masters? Sorry? Where are you doing your masters? At Cambridge. Okay. <laughs> She's so bashful, she won't say it. I've got to brag for her. Go ahead. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so the interesting thing is, is it's not that young women suffer with less anxiety and depression, but early interventions are less accessible to young men than to young women. So all early interventions out there, so think like your therapies, your mindfulness, your medicine, all of this stuff that's kind of like the low bar, easy to access, it's, they, they all look, sound, feel exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And that resonates with some people and it just doesn't resonate with other people. And I think it's an absolute tragedy that this is the state of the world. Um, So, yeah, so that, and so let's, I'll give an example. So Headspace and Calm, we all know them, you know, I think they're fantastic in that they've democratized mental health management for millions of people worldwide, but over 80% of their users are female, over 95% are over age 25, and 40% of Calm's subscribers earn $100,000 a year or more. So basically, they know who their market is. Their market want to listen to Harry Styles' whisper bedtime stories <laughs> in their ear. <laughs> and who doesn't want to hear Harry Styles' whisper bedtime stories? I, I mean, I do. I do actually hear you through your bedroom door. You do. Yeah, with <laughs> Harry Styles on. <laughs> um, uh, no, he's, yeah, he's and that was that was so the charming. kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, look, don't be embarrassed. Oh. Like, he's an icon. <laughs> Love him. <laughs> Shout um, out to Paulie, by the way. It's my buddy who uh, is, is... Oh, uh, yes, you told me, yeah. He's Harry Styles' music director. In, yeah, but he genuinely is an icon. I absolutely love him. Yes. Um, but yeah, so basically that was when the idea for this new form of mindfulness came about that wasn't yogi, it wasn't clinical, it was in the world of music, youth culture, all of you know the mindfulness and meditative sessions are created and delivered by the world's most famous musicians. Um, so that's what we do. We and specifically, what genre, what demographic? So currently, we work in hip hop pr- primarily. Mm-hmm. So imagine like we're a pizza base of lo-fi hip hop with like smatterings of um, ambient world sounds, um, kind of really catchy beats, and basically, but lo-fi hip hop is our. Sound. I mean, I think. From what you said, you said it's not accessible. It is accessible, but it's not appealing to younger men, younger men in the urban environment. You're making yeah. it seem like it's not the the weak thing to do, right? You're bringing artists that they respect. You're bringing it in a way that, that resonates with them. So you're targeting the right audience who have been neglected because they haven't been targeted by anyone because no one cared before. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. And when I say accessible, I mean, I do actually mean like cultural relevance. Because right. if something doesn't resonate with someone's culture, their interests. So there's actually a report um, that was published in 2020 by the Samaritans in the UK. And um, it was all about ma- the male suicide epidemic and how it's a um, silent epidemic and what we can do about it. And um, they no- they noted that the key things that w- will be needed t- to overcome this 
or part of the thing we can do to overcome it is make sure that early interventions are as integrative into their lifestyles as possible. Mm -hmm. So like sports, for example. Um, so I know a guy back in London, he runs a really cool organization called Football Beyond Borders. Um, so they work with Nike and stuff as well. They're amazing. And um, it's football coaching for 14 to 19 year old young men, boys. Um, they do tournaments all over the UK and all of the coaches are also trained therapists. So oh, wow. in, yeah, yeah, so in the locker rooms, they'll open up, you know, meaningful conversations. They'll ask the kind of questions and they'll, you know, the kind of the, the use of language is so important when you're speaking to people in an aim to help them heal. Yeah. Um, so that's why like our artists are trained by therapists and stuff, because they'll there'll be a way of asking a question, the tone that you use, you know, the framing of your sentences and questions that can promote the right type of reflection and therefore right. healing. So it's it's really important how language is constructed when we're trying to help people. I mean, same with the way we could try to target people to head outside to these outdoor activities, right? Mm. So we're not we had this conversation walking over here about diversity and how and I mean the way the kind of people we want to have come through diversity is every realm, right? Mm. But if you're speaking in a certain way and you have staff that is socially awkward, it's not going to be appealing to certain audiences. Mm. So I, I totally under, I totally agree. I think it's so, so important with messaging, mm. whether even on, on social media, the words we use and the, the tone we use when we're posting a photo or something is extremely important. Mm. important. It yeah. is. And I don't think enough... And so, like, music, so music is the medium that I love. Like, um, you know, I think music can literally change the world. Music and sports are the two most non-discriminatory things in the world, and I fully, fully believe that. Um, but, so, in terms of the music industry, this is, like, the interesting thing. So, you know, the world of mental health and mental wellness looks, sounds, feels the same. Um, but also, based on clinical, clinically proven stuff, impact yeah. that's fantastic yeah. and that's why people keep making stuff that looks sounds feels like that because all the research looks sounds feels like that so that's what they've proven that that works music industry is completely different it is 100 percent based on commercialization what sells oh that song sells what are you talking about do more like that labels only care about what's going to make the charts and what's going to like sell and it's like hold on a minute but these are the most influential people in the world and Basically, they are artists of the vessels between potentially early interventions and the hardest to reach people in the world. So it's like, should we not be thinking a little bit more yeah. about how they can be a more meaningful vessel? Labels don't care about that. So it's like there's this massive I mean, big opportunity. corporate doesn't care about that anyway. Of course they don't. Like, but there's there's this huge gap in the middle where artists are already trying to they're without even realizing it, they're already filling this gap. Like, think about the amount of artists that are, uh, you know, creating meditation tracks for their albums. They're doing mindfulness stuff on their Instagram Live. Like, they already know <laughs> that they can make a difference, but no one's come in and been like, okay, here is a meaningful platform so we can actually do it properly. Right. So, basically, that's what Spoke's doing. It's kind of coming in and, yeah, leveraging that space with an aim to change ultimately be part of the puzzle that changes the culture of mental health and it's an amazing mission i think this is definitely needed for every person on the planet but especially yeah. the ones that are underserved um where do you stand right now with with the company where like, do i stand like, well, as far as like where 
Where are you? Um, where are you? It's okay. <laughs> where are you? Um, you, it's still a startup, right? We're still a startup. So We're only 18 months old. What's really? That's it? Born and bred in captivity. Really? Yeah. So what stage are you? Are you fundraising? Yeah, so um, we raised a pre-seed round um, about yeah 18 months ago. Um, we've built an amazing app, so you can literally type spoke into the app store, only on iPhone at the moment, um, and so you can download it. And um, yeah, we're now raising again, so that's why I'm here in the US. I've been meeting some really cool funds in San Francisco and LA here in New York. And um, yeah, it's we've got an amazing team in London. We've got a cool studio. If an anyone's in London, wants to come down, we're just off Brick Lane, so you can um, look us up. I'll, I'll, um, I'll come by. Yeah, you will. Well, you're coming in a couple of weeks, yeah. so uh, there you yeah. go. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's kind of where we're at, like doing the next fundraise, um, working on lots of growth stuff to you know get the word out, mm -hmm bring the right artists on board. So we're kind of discussing some potential partnerships with a couple of big labels. Um, but yeah, it's an exciting time at the moment. Sounds exciting. Yeah. Now, what were you doing bef like before you became an entrepreneur? Did you, you worked for a few different companies, right? Oh, I worked for, a, yeah, a bunch of different companies. What were you doing? I kind of, um, so yeah, I oh well, I actually set up my first company while in university <laughs> when I was 19 in Bristol doing like possibly- Such an overachiever. Well, no, like I just basically wanted to make money and I was just running like underground like music events and so potentially illegal. No, it was like, they were like... Um, Look at the way she says, no, absolutely not. Like no, it's no, terrible. No, that is not what I meant at all. No, like they were like kind of, um, yeah, like raves, music gigs, that kind of thing. And you put them together? Yeah, yeah, so put them That's together. A promoter. <laughs> That's a promoter. That's a promoter. Hundred percent. Another Persian promoter. Exactly. <laughs> Another Persian promoters. The promoters. There a lot of Persian promoters. Okay. Me know that. It's because we just got got good chat, you know. Good chat. Exactly. There's <laughs> 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 uh, not Persian promoters in London. I mean, I'm sure there are. Like, I'm I'm not really in the in the know anymore. Okay. Yeah. Anymore, like you're. You must be. I'm um, not in the know anymore. <laughs> so you were doing these raves and these big parties. What motivated you to do that and? There wasn't. There just wasn't a big hip hop scene in Bristol. So Bristol's the west of England, um, and they didn't really have. It was like a very different kind of music scene, and yeah, I just wanted to create some events that, and I did it with a couple of friends. Wanted to create some events that we actually personally wanted to go to. Yeah. So that was that. Um, I spent a couple of years working for Nike. Um, I did some work for Coca Cola as well. What did you do for them? Um, so I basically was on this really incredible group of women um, who were running Nike training club events all over like our kind of district. So mm -hmm. mine was the West of England. And yeah, it was kind of like a kind of, I guess, marketing and running events and stuff for them. And you do something similar for Coca-Cola? So yeah, and then I did something similar for Coca-Cola So you're in the experiential well. world for a long time. Yeah, I've been in it for, for a while, yeah, like I 12 years. That. Okay. Yeah, so we did like lots of extreme sports events. Um, that was That was really cool. Um, and then, yeah, I, um, gosh, and I kind of went into like a few different things. I went into property investment because that's what I studied for my undergrad, um, went into marketing. And then I kind of had a few jobs like for a publishing company, for another agency. And then that's when I moved out to publishing New York. company, music publishing. No, it was like magazines, okay. like magazines. Like it, was, it was in food and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, but then, yeah. And then I did a couple of, you know, I guess it was kind of random. And then I moved out to New York. 
and then I was working in marketing for City Private Bank. And then you went, how long were you here for? I was here for a year. Okay, yeah. and then we went back to London. And then I went back to London, and that's when I started Sweat and Sound. I didn't know it was that, I didn't know you did that long. Like, I thought, I thought when, I thought when you did Sweat and Sound was like a few years after you got back, but you started right away. Started it right away. I got back just just after Trump was elected, mm-hmm. and then about two months later, I started um, Sweat and Sound. Okay. Mm. So, I'm, I'm pretty sure that uh, that you you're not done creating uh, companies. Obviously, you've got Spoke is a great company, and you want it to be amazing, and you're gonna grow that. But I don't think it's you know I think I think it's gonna be amazing one. I think you have every tool it takes to to make it the best it'll be and maybe get acquired or whatever, have millions of users. Uh, but I think you probably create some more stuff. Gosh, I don't, I just don't know. I really don't know. Like someone, one of my friends who's just had her second child was like, when I had my first child, I thought there is no way I'm doing this again. Hell on earth. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, what a mom. I know. <laughs> And then she was like, a year later, she was like, yeah, you kind of forget that. You kind of forget about that pain. Yeah. And so can now I'm like, why would I do this again? Yeah. Like, this is, I'm going to make sure, I'm going to make sure this is like really healthy and successful and great. So what is your goal for this? No, for this, like, I want this to create as much impact as possible. So I don't mind whether we take this to like IPO and it's worldwide. I don't mind if we end up at some point you know, if we find a meaningful partnership that's going to allow us to create the most impact possible, that's the thing I care about the most. Um, so I, I think this can be a, a really important tool to reach, very who, hard to reach Who would you for. see would be a perfect partner? Or is it too soon to tell? Like is there, are there any brands or companies out there that right now you're like, they'd be a great partner for us? Oh, gosh, that's a really good question. I should have I should have thought about that. Um <laughs> To be honest, the best partners are going to be the major record labels. Really? Yeah. You okay? Like uh, and but when I say the best, if we can do if we can do a partnership in a way that's not going to like cannibalize us, basically. So uh, I think anything in music, because ultimately we are artist-led, we're spoke spoken yeah. word-led. So uh, anything that is going to help us connect better with the best artists in the world, that's always going to be the best kind of partnership. Who are your dream artists you want to work with? Nas, Jay-Z, um, who else? Mm. So I've been actually, I've been, I've been targeting these guys for investment as well. Um, Snoop Dogg, Chameleon Air. He actually is, he's made some really good investments. Chameleon Air? Yeah, yes, he's a Silicon Valley yeah. veteran right now. Um, but yeah, so all, all of kind of those guys, I think, would be great. I, I, w- I want to get in front of every single one of them. Right. Like they've invested in far more random stuff than what we're doing. But but <laughs> as f- that sounds like you want to work with them because of investment partnerships. But what artists would you want to like? Oh, so you mean like actually? Oh yeah, I'd love to work with them as well. Right, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, so I guess at the moment we'd like to. Yeah, obviously we're. I'm kind of I'm in the investment head. Yeah. <laughs> um. So in terms of actually, yeah. Gosh, it's. I mean, 
God, we've got a ton of artists. Who are you listening to with. right now that you would be like, I would love to have them? You got any local artists over there in the yeah, UK? You yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm trying to think of like US artists. Shout but out to Lem- our, our uh, kind of like, oh, shout out to Lemzy. Lemzy, yeah. Lemzy is our, he's our lead artist. He's your ambassador, right? He's yeah, like, yeah. He's yeah. he's our like golden boy. He's incredible. He's a great guy. Yeah, he's our front man. Um, Seventy to eighty percent of everything you hear on the app is his voice. So he is, I mean, at this point, he's very, very trained in loads of different meaningful mindful practices. Mm -hmm. Um, He works with all of our therapists, like very kind of handheld, in a very handheld way. So yeah, he's an incredible force. Um, But so yeah, talking about UK artists, I guess one of the top people on our hit list is Dave. I don't know if you know Dave. Um, Dave's like, so <laughs> it's like you know, Dave. Like, uh, is that his artist name? Yeah. Okay. He is quite possibly the most famous rapper in the UK. Really, I'm not and laughing because I am belittling him as a rapper. It's just Dave sounds like a very yeah. Because most rappers have like a they have like a, you know like a nickname like Snoop yeah. Dogg and stuff like yeah. that. Like yeah. so, like it's, it's, it's just like Dave. Yeah, no, it's Dave. It's, <laughs> it's Dave. It's Dave. <laughs> <laughs> He was. Dave, I mean, he's I just. He's done. He's done his sell-out U.S. tour. Really? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's every. He's every. I'm um, sure I've heard his music and just don't know that it's Dave. I mean, you, like, at some point, mark my words, suddenly people are going to find out about him here, and everyone's going to. You know go how? Crazy. It's going to be on the next Drake album. That's what's going to happen. It might be something like that, but yeah. his. So his latest album, it's like, I can't even really explain how. <coughs> beautiful and meaningful it is it's like got so much heart and soul and it's incredibly profound mm-hmm. um so yeah everyone needs to go listen to that so but yeah so he's he's probably i would say the number one person we want to work with at the moment have you gotten in touch with him yet um we like a, a degree of separation gotcha like <laughs> everyone yeah exactly um so we, we've gotten to know a lot about your professional career and your goals are extremely motivated what about you personally? What are your life goals as unrelated to business? Um, yeah, so I guess like all I really care about doing is stuff that feels meaningful and that means that I can contribute creatively that's going to, you know, help solve some kind of problem. Like I'm quite a natural problem solver. Like. Mm-hmm. You know, I like thinking about things and figuring things out theoretically. So I can imagine myself going into maybe even some kind of research. I I, I really enjoy um, looking at really big problems and trying to figure out, you know, what. um, So it's so like something that we actually learn in my masters is is the is the idea of they're called wicked problems which are global systemic problems that no one agent can fix by themselves. So things like poverty, um, the climate problems, racism, um, mental health, all of this stuff is, it's systemic. And so everything from grassroots activism all the way to government policy, we need change at every level with multiple actors to create a network effect that ultimately can solve the problem. No one entrepreneur is going to come along and be like, I'm going to solve it. Like mm-hmm. that's, you know, there's, that's, there's no way. No one policy is going to change it. No one activist is going to change it. Everyone needs to collaborate and work together. Um, so that's, that's a field, that's the field that I'm studying. And that's, 
something I find really interesting because I think that's the future of business. Business, especially in like MBAs, a lot of business education is the same as it was 50 years ago. We're still working in old school capitalism and it needs to change. Like we, sh we need to be thinking about how we're affecting society, how we're creating business that's gonna genuinely solve problems in a sustainable way um, and make it less about, you know, all being about the commercial side. So I think there's a future of business that needs to be explored. And um, yeah, I'm quite passionate about so that. So what's the name of the program you're, you're in right now? So the Masters, it's um, an MST, which is the Masters of Studies in Social Innovation. Um, so yeah, anyone interested in that can like look that up. Cause uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan. And I've been, I've been recommending it to loads of my friends to go I mean and that's apply. that's like problem solving on a larger scale. Yeah, I mean, it's like yeah. really big thinking, problem mm -hmm. solving, but which is, yeah. It's also unique because you're, you're, you've got to think differently to solve these problems. Because they, they, they haven't been solved, right? So no one's ever thought of a solution. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think this needs to be applied to political systems in, in every aspect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's like, you know, there's, there's like... So everyone kind of glamorizes entrepreneurs and they're like, oh, you know, everyone wants to be an entrepreneur and this and that. And that's cool, like, because if you are a natural entrepreneur, they're, they're mm -hmm. an important part of our, yeah. it's, in, it's innovation. It's, you know, mm -hmm. what kind of creates new ideas, brings it into the ecosystem. But like intrapreneurs, I think, yeah, and these are like people who are within massive organizations who will work really hard with no credit and create one degree of change. But because it's such a big organization, it, the, the degree will be much wider than what a singular entrepreneur can do in a smaller organization. And that's an entrepreneur? That's called an intrapreneur. I like that. I like and that. then there's extrapreneurs. So extrapreneurs are people who are like agents in between the two. So they're like the people who go and connect the dots and bring different people together from like, you know, um, that's why, you know, big organizations, they're all tr they've all got like innovation labs and they're all trying to kind of have house startups within the bigger organization. Mm -hmm. So we, we kind of need all of these different agents working together so we can create change. And like an extrapreneur basically goes around and like connects connects all the dots. Yeah. So yeah. And a great neural network. Yeah, exactly. Like uh yeah, like fantastic fungi. Fantastic fungi. Fungi, yes. That's a I'm sorry, fung yeah. Fungi yeah. <laughs> no, it is fungi. I is it fungi? It. It is. Oh, okay. Oh. oh, brilliant. Brilliant document documentary. All yeah. Right. <laughs> I've got some more specific questions for you when okay, I ask cool. them. All right. <coughs> um, what do you do for fun? I Seems like you work all the time. No, I work a lot, but I do actually have I, I do have fun. Mm -hmm. What do you do? <laughs> <laughs> I know how to have fun. I know how to have fun. <laughs> that okay. didn't seem like really convincing. Like it, didn't, not it didn't, so did it? Oh <laughs> She's trying God. to convince herself. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I kind of, I go out with my friends. Um, I dance, I'm, I'm, I've done, well, I did ballet for 22 years, so I love dancing. So I'll, um, yeah, I'll kind of do a lot of fitness, I do dance. Um, yeah, and I've, I'm, I'm really spontaneous, so I love to travel as well. So if I've got kind of a spare weekend, and it's so easy traveling from London, um, so I guess that's the kind of stuff I do for fun. <laughs> I mean, I love travel too. I mean, I, I just can't travel all the time, but I'm, I'm working that into my my job, my career. Yeah. Um, uh, what advice would you give high school you, teenage you? Um, mm, I would say to 
start working on an idea now and fail with it and then work on another one, fail with it and then work on another one and fail with it. Because right. I think I would have, like every success is the 53rd, like the 52nd try basically at something. You know, I love the movie uh, Founder. Founder. <gasps> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, one no, of my favorite. It's the story of uh, McDonald's and um, uh, what's the, the guy's name? Do you remember? Uh, um, yeah, so it's McDonald's. The only thing about Founder is that I like the story, but the actual founders get screwed over at the end by true. the big. True, by Croc, uh, Ray Croc. Yes. I agree, but at the same time, I have mixed feelings about Ray Kroc based on the story. Mm. So what I like about him is the fact that he's been a serial, a serial failed entrepreneur and he reaches the age of late 40s or 50s and finally finds McDonald's, right? He didn't create it, but he, 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 he did create it. He didn't create the systems for the restaurant, but he created the empire, right? Yeah. Um, I forgot why I brought that up, but I love. It <laughs> <laughs> is a really good film. <laughs> uh, it's late. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> anyway, what else do I want? Do you know why I brought that up? <laughs> so we were talking about um, advice to what oh, I was to, what give, I was myself. Yes, to yes, give yes, myself. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. And so I was saying fail, that, yes. like, yeah, I was, yeah, I, I would basically say to just actually start a lot earlier because I started trialing ideas and stuff. I, I put, you know, I, I wish I kind of started in a more formal way a lot earlier because I think I think I could have and I think I would have been really successful with it a lot earlier. Why don't you think you did? Um, I think because I didn't know. I didn't have the means. Like at the time, they didn't really teach that stuff at school. I didn't really see anybody that was doing what I'm doing now. I even went to university and it was like, oh, you know, the Entrepreneur Society. And it was kind of like, it didn't really, it's like, it didn't. But you didn't connect with them. I didn't really connect. Like, it didn't, really teach me actually what it is that I'm doing now. I, I mean, I was, I was, as a child, you're ingrained, you're taught school, good job. You're mm. not taught think for yourself and, and create something for yourself. Like, mm. matter of fact, I mean, my first, first 15 years as an entrepreneur was pretty much nightlife promotions, event promotions, but became mm. more of that with working with brands, uh, coming up with cool create uh, experiential mm. um, campaigns and so on but I remember when I was when I had graduated school and I was starting that mm -hmm. I just kept on getting hit in the head by my mom saying like get a job get a job get a job get a job mm. and I remember uh, a teammate of mine when I played basketball in college his father was uh, uh, in hospitality very successful entrepreneur in hospitality and he was like don't get a job keep doing what you're doing keep going like no you know i figure out i'll get a job and do this on the side make some money for rent or whatever and my mindset completely changed when he said that and i spoke to other friends of mine and i saw what they look like on monday morning i'm like absolutely not <laughs> mm. i don't want to do that yeah so. yeah yeah no i think um yeah i think the idea and and i guess like because what i've learned now is like the whole world of like startups and running a business is basically like it's basically like the wild west no one actually knows what they're doing everyone's just kind of like shooting from the hip well especially in out. tech especially in tech yeah. which is actually a fairly new industry and a new world um it's people are making things up as they go along and it's like if you just know that then you can just jump in and make stuff up as well 
you know? Yeah. So I think the younger you know that actually it's just about being in the arena, <laughs> essentially, and, you know, figuring things out and, like, fighting for things and making it work rather than standing there, like, you know, carefully placing your bets. Um, that's what I think really counts. And that's what I think... I think more young people are doing that now. Though. Yeah. It's like, you know, knowledge is more accessible than it ever has been. You can learn 25 years worth of knowledge in a bunch of YouTube videos. In your hand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think more and more young people do know that, which is, is good to hear, good to see. Um, what is what is a dream that you've yet to achieve? I think you kind of answered that with my question about what you see yourself doing in the future. But is there a mm. specific dream you've yet to achieve? Um, yeah, so I'm like I'm a really big believer that what that there's a a completely untapped potential to help so many more people improve their emotional health because emo so emotions get kind of trapped in the body and that's what leads to burnout. And um, Brene Brown's got a really interesting podcast where she talks about this, where the emotions have a start, a middle, and an end. And the reason why even we get a lot of physical problems is because an emotion will start and we'll push it down and we'll not let it complete its cycle. And we now, so, so basically, sorry, what I'm trying to say is um, I think that we can help so many more people through um, a better use of music and the arts. And I think a lot more research needs to be done around it because if research is done about around it, then more funding will come towards it and then more people will create solutions that are different and feel and look and different. And it's a shame that all your funding has to come from private side and can't be coming from the government. Like, oh, government should have incentives. Don't even get me started. We've applied for government grants and the times we have, there's always someone who's writing the, um, uh, doing the marking and they're like, this looks like it's a music business disguised as a mental health solution. And I'm like, are you joking me? You it's know, completely missed the point. I'm not sure if you can do this because it's uh, it's in Sweden, but they have this whole um, this program where they take the estates of people who pass away and don't have anyone to in their family to pass it on to, and it goes into a, a culture fund in, in the Swedish government, and they give fund they give uh, they gave three I think it was three million dollars uh, for three years or one point. Three million dollars for three years to a company that was doing yoga for people with autism. Oh wow, that's amazing! So they they have they're very very aggressive as far as their what they fund and initiatives they fund. And I think mm. that the contacts I have there could help you. I'm not sure if you qualify because I don't know if it has to be a Swedish based business, mm. but we can we can somehow make it that way. Mm. Uh, and I think you can get funding through that. Yeah, I mean, that that would be amazing. I'll definitely look into it. But mm. yeah, so all of our funding is private funding. Yeah. But I will add that um, the funds and the people we work with, investors we work with, they care about impact. So we've got, in our articles of association, it says that we will we are equally about creating social impact as we are about creating financial return and we will never sacrifice one for the other so nobody can work with us nobody can invest with in us unless they agree that that is and that's that's baked into our legals and i think and that's i think that's the key for startups to do from an off because mm -hmm. if it's not baked into your legals then at some point down the line you might end up with shareholders that push you in a corner and but if you've actually got it legally it's like we, we can't we 
we have to work yeah. this way, then you're going to detract anyone that actually doesn't care. And that's what we want to do. We want to detract investors that actually don't right. care. So, um, so yeah, we're quite lucky with who we've got. At that's the amazing. I didn't know you could bake that into your contracts. You can. You can just, when you're making the initial mm -hmm. um, articles of association, I don't know what the equivalent is here, you can just ensure you put that in. Yeah, that's great. But again, sad that we can't get government to cover the bill because um, yeah. they should be. It benefits them. Uh, something a little lighter. What is your yeah. most embarrassing moment? Oh, it seems like you know off the top of your head what your most embarrassing no, moment No, it's because it was so embarrassing. It, I Let's still feel it. a little bit sick. <laughs> this better be good. Let's hear it. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so um, the university I did my undergrad at was called UWE in Bristol, okay? Yep. And anyway, so I was on the dance team, and we had been training for the whole year in the hip-hop dance. And we it was amazing. Like, it was an amazing dance routine. We performed at one of the big competitions. There was like Can 20 you do it for us? No. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a video of it? There will be a video somewhere. Like okay. there, there will be yeah. a video somewhere. Um, yeah, so we trained all year. Like We were really confident. Anyway, so we were at this competition. There was like maybe, I don't know, 30, 40 other teams there. And they were announcing the winners. And they were like, you know, third place. They said another u university. Second place. They said another university. And we were like... Oh my god, we're gonna get it. We're gonna, we're gonna get it. I know we are. And then first place, they said, and first place goes to UE. And I got up. I walked through the crowd, screaming. I got to the stage. <laughs> Started walking up the stage. I looked back. None of the girls were following me. And the woman on the stage was like, and there, there was another team cheering. Anyway, it was UEA which is a different university, mm -hmm. University of East Anglia. And I just completely misheard. <laughs> and uh, honestly, people's face when I walked back, like, poor her. <laughs> How old were you when this happened? I don't know, about 19 or 20. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's terrible. It was really that embarrassing. That is definitely an embarrassing <laughs> moment. That's close to Javier's embarrassing moment. I always got to bring up his embarrassing moment. Yeah, he's I mean, he's probably going to be the, the the king of embarrassing. Yeah, he moments. is. So Javier uh, really? got onto a, a city bus mm. on his way to high school with those snap-on pants. Some snap-off pants. Okay. Uh, he steps on the bus, door closes, grips his pants, steps up, pants rip off. He's in his tidy whities on the bus in front of everybody. Oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, he wins. Oh, okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ken's not that. I mean, he's he's pretty close too. Who's that? Uh, what uh, what's his name? Duh. Oh, Ken Tanaka. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ken uh, Ken ran the I think the New York City Marathon mm. with food poisoning, and Ooh, it took him eight fun. hours and twenty seven shits later. <laughs> twenty seven is my lucky number. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you respond to that story? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. It's, a, it's a lucky number in Chinese. Over in China, 27 is a lucky number. It's always been my lucky number. Really? So 27? Yeah. yeah so right. maybe it's it was lucky for him. Maybe. It, maybe it was. <laughs> I don't see how taking 27 shits in a marathon is lucky. <laughs> um all right, is there anything I, I haven't asked you that you want to share? Any, there could be anything, unique fact about you or something else you want to tell the listeners? No, I think you've asked me everything. 
Yeah. Sure. Not we're not hiding anything that you want to share. No. Oh gosh, all of my secrets. I'm hiding quite a lot. I, I need to know <laughs> these secrets. I want to know. No. Um. No, I can't think of anything no. else I need to share. Yeah. Okay. Well then, that being said, it's time for five rapid fire questions. Okay. Are yeah. you ready? I'm ready. You want to take a quick sip? Or are you good? I'm nervous. No, I'm. I won't all right. Sip. They're very easy. They're okay. simple questions. So, what's your favorite city other than New York? Uh, other than New York City. Well, you don't live here. Other than London, what's your favorite city? Other than London and New York, what is your favorite oh, city? Oh, other than London and New York. Yeah. Um, Rio. Brazil? Yeah. I like it there. I've been there. Yeah. Uh, why is it your favorite city? Um, I just think the landscape's beautiful. I think the culture is beautiful. Um, the food, the music, the vibe. Yeah. I, I agree. It. For me, the vibe was definitely... Uh, it just makes it a lot easier to not be stressed. It does, yeah. You're very laid back, and it's fun. It's about enjoying yourself. I mean, I don't know if you live there. It might be different, but when I was there, it was like that. Yeah. Um, if you could do any other profession, what, it, what would it be? A full-time adventurer. You're hired. <laughs> Genuinely. I always want to, like, actually, talk, I should have said this when you asked me what I wanted to be when I was little. I, I wanted to just adventure full-time. So I, I imagine myself, like, you know, hiking up mountains, putting my, you know, tent and stuff up and just kind of being in the wilderness and like, like an outsider my, like an outsider like my okay. hair's like down to my ankles i'm like nomadic walking around i could yeah happily do that really yeah okay so you're uh, really outdoorsy i didn't know that yeah i love it okay good to know you have to join us on one of the destination trips well yeah of course obviously uh what's your vice oh god it's a really boring one but like chocolate I was gonna say sweets. Yeah. Yeah. Because I ate all those bang cookies. Did you? <laughs> I think <laughs> I got back. I got back tonight, and I actually just ate the rest of them as well. You better not have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what is your greatest fear? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I'll tell you this because it's really weird, but I do have a big fear. I mean, it doesn't. It's not very serious. It's not like my greatest fear. It's my weirdest fear. I'm really scared of big leaves. And I always <laughs> have been. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know uh, why. Big leaves. Uh, big and leaves. Do me a favor. When you uh, don't go over in that corner over there, there's a couple of plants. That you really? You want it to be an adventure. You're big on uh, the like outdoors, but you don't no, like I big can't, leaves? No, I can't adventure in tropical places where the leaves are big. What's what is it about leaves that you're afraid of? I honestly, honestly think that maybe in a previous life, I got killed by something behind a big leaf. Because you know when a leaf is, you know, not, I'm not, not like, even not kind of like, you know, the size of my arm or the size of half of me. I mean like banana tree leaf, you know, like massive, massive leaves. Ew, horrible, can't stand them. Like you can't touch them, can't I go can't near them? I can't touch them, I can't go near them, I don't want it anywhere How big near me. a leaf Like, you know, like you. bigger than a human, like massive, massive type of leaf. Like, like a like banana a, leaf. Like a banana leaf, yeah. So you know, botanical gardens is out of the question. Then, right? Yeah, I don't really <laughs> like it. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, like some guy takes her on a date. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not, not for me. Um, <laughs> have, you, have you ever had like, uh, maybe... Is it Thai food? I'm going to sound super uncultured if it's not, but Thai food that's served on a banana leaf? No, that's fine because it's kind of like, you know, it's small. It's, it's, it's when it's like up next to me and I can't see what's behind it. Um, don't ask me why it freaks me out. I don't understand my own brain. Like okay, so that's your weird fear. What is your, 
your, I guess, more rational fear? Okay, my more rational fear. Not to is downplay scary leaves by <laughs> any means. <laughs> um, is not, yeah, not kind of being like in a box and being controlled yeah. and not, you lack know, lack of freedom. Lack of freedom, not being able to like, uh, and not doing what I'm meant to do because mm -hmm. I feel scared or because I'm not able to. Um, because yeah, I think I think everyone like intuitively. Once you tap into your intuition, you know what you're meant to be doing. Yeah. You have a feeling you're meant to do this, and you're curious about that, and you go and you explore it, and then one thing leads to another, and then all of a sudden you're doing something really meaningful, and it all yeah. makes sense. And that's that's the path for an entrepreneur for sure. Exactly. And what you describe, the way you describe that fear is, I'm sure everyone's had these dreams where they they can't run, they can't do something, and that's what uh, yeah. that's like that real life feeling. Yeah. Though. Yeah, so yeah. what you said earlier about, like, you know, an entrepreneur is, you know, you, it, it's like a lot of people won't do that yeah. stuff, won't do that scary stuff. The fear of not doing that stuff is greater to me than the fear of actually doing it. Oh, for sure, so me yeah. too. But when I have crazy anxiety about, like, I'm stressed out, it's because that stuff that we're talking about isn't done yet or hasn't been started. Yeah. That's where I get my fear from. Yeah. Mm. Um, interesting. Mm. More scary than leaves. Slightly. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, but not much. Uh, last question. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite food and what did you bring us today? So my favorite food is a Persian dish called... We're both half Persian. We're both half Persian. There we go. Um, it's called Fesinjun. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, one of my favorites as well. And I've always loved it. It's um, got um, It's got kind of a pomegranate with... Um, Walnut. Walnuts, kind of, I guess you kind of make it into a paste. Yeah. And you turn it into sort of a stew, I guess, with, with meat and you have it with rice. Well, it's, it's either chicken or duck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've never had it with duck, though. It's always been chicken. I think I, I've mainly only had it with chicken. Yeah. Um, but I might have had it with it. I probably have had it with the duck as well. well. Where was the best fessenjun you've had in your life? So actually in Iran. So, ah, um, so my aunt's taught me and my sister how to make it. Really? We spent a few hours together. This is not even that long ago. This is back in 2017. And we spent, yeah, maybe like a few hours or half a day. And from she scratch. just, from scratch. Oof. And she taught us exactly how to make it. We kind of ground everything down. And it was, it's a real process. You have to cook it in the right way. And um, I was like making notes. Um, and yeah, and then we finished it. And it was like, wow, this is yeah. absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, I do. I do love it. The best best I had was out of this place in Belgium. Okay. But the best Persian food was obviously my grandmother. She made this dish that apparently is a very famous dish: is chicken and plum sauce. Mm, I forgot the yeah. name of it in Farsi, but I actually know uh, what you're talking about, and I forgot the name. There's a as movie well. made about this. It was named after this dish, uh, mm. and I'll never forget it because she she actually made it for me at my dad's place, and she brought some. They brought some in a container for me mm. from her. She brought it over. And uh, I've never had something that tasted so magic. It was so mm. delicious. It was mm. And I love Persian food because it has these unique blends of be fruits, berries, meats. Mm. And it's just Persian cooking. And of course, there's a bias here because we're part Persian. But I, I, bring, I have friends of mine that are not Persian who tell me they love Persian food because it's so unique. Yeah, I've never met anyone that doesn't love Persian food. Mm. And yeah, I love the kind of mixture between so much saffron and everything. Yes. But then this kind of like sweet 
it's almost like sweet sour like pangs mm-hmm. of taste and savory sweet sour savory yeah let's show them what right. festinger looks like because honestly when i when i order it when people have never had it when they first see it it doesn't look appetizing well no it actually doesn't so no. it looks like mud <laughs> yeah it does look like mud and it I know doesn't, it doesn't I taste <laughs> like mud. It no, tastes, tastes very delicious. like it. You know what it tastes? It tastes op- opulent. 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 That's an interesting word. Do to you know? Use. What, do you know what I mean? It no. Almost, it, it's got <laughs> like a. It's got kind of. I think it tastes majestic. Mm. You know, because it's like it's a royal. Uh, yeah, and yeah. and usually people would have it at kind of weddings. Yeah, and nice it, it's like a food that you only had during specific occasions. Yeah, yeah, so it is quite like you know you you eat it in. Because it's, it's it's like heavy as well, it so you'll is. have it for like weddings and um, you know it'll be Can like a real treat. Can you see it on the, the camera? It looks like like I mean chocolate pudding meets it mud. It looks like <laughs> chocolate pudding meets mud. Yeah. And what do you? They show everybody what so you eat it with. And yeah, look. I wish I wish I had like nice plates to put it out on. Well, we got this to go. I appreciate you getting this. Uh, the other thing is this is this is Persian rice. People think there's cheese on top. It is not cheese. Americans would think that because they put cheese on everything. This is saffron rice. So Persian rice is, is obviously very important in Persian culture because we eat a lot of rice. Mm-hmm. Rice is basmati rice. And then on top of the rice, every time uh, rice is made, they take a portion of the rice and pour um, saffron saffron on top, right? Liquefied saffron. Mm, yeah. So that's what that is. So you take a little bit of the... Look, look at me explaining what you brought. <laughs> you tell them. Um, yes, yeah, so I mean, uh, there's not really much more to explain, but this is the uh, this is the fesenjun. Oh, so we I do have a spoon and fork here. All right, you can try. It. I'm gonna have some. I've had it a million times. Cause I order this all the time. No, this is all good. This is all good. Oh, oh look. Yeah, perfect. So there you we take go. Whichever one you want. You take the spoon. Okay. So how do you do? Do you put the rice in and then dip it, or you did this and then? I usually put that on the rice. On top. Yeah, so I put it on the rice and I just kind of dip it. I put it on the side because I don't want the rice to soak up all the, and then I, I scoop it in together. Mm, I mean that is a it's a valid method as well. So you take a little bit like that. Wait, so how do you eat your rice and beans then? Oh. Yeah, no, I'm me? talking to you. Yeah, you. I put it on top. Okay. Mm. But I do leave it a little on the side. Mm. Just to keep it extra moist. <laughs> this is so good. Mm. And mm, what's good. funny is some people are thrown off because it is really sweet. Not no, it is sweet. Overbearingly sweet, but mm. for a main dish, for mm. for a main course, it is sweeter than what people normally would order. It is sweet, and it's um it's heavy as well, like because it's got a lot of a lot of walnuts ground into yeah. it. Interesting fact about walnuts. Yeah. There's a town in Iran. That um, it's a small town, and I can't remember the name. I'm gonna have to get back on that. Um, where loads of walnut trees exist. There's walnut trees everywhere. There's so many walnut trees they they actually ex- they export them. It's one of the main exporters of, oh, wow, of okay. walnuts. And so, because the people in this town grew up with so many walnuts, they grind it into everything. Like even the baby's milk, they will really? like grind the walnuts, and because they've got like endless yeah. walnuts. Anyway, there is a a disproportionate number of people from this town that have got Nobel Prizes, they've gone to Harvard, Yale, Oxford, Cambridge, done incredible things. The only link is the fact that they grew up eating walnuts. And what's crazier is if you look at a walnut, it it looks Looks exactly like a brain. brain. It's like, it's almost like the universal God or whatever you believe in is saying, 
I've literally made this thing look like a brain. <laughs> well, I Why aren't you just eating it? I yeah. remember so, like a video, like a documentary on that. Like there's something that's in like all nuts, not just walnuts, that actually helps like. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm. But specifically walnuts. Actually, yeah. there's w- another one of my favorite dishes in uh, Persian cuisine is paneer sabzi. Oh, yeah. And that yeah. has amazing fresh herbs, radish, feta mm. cheese, um, and walnuts. And yeah. yeah. I love that. Walnuts aren't the most delicious thing on their own. But mixed into things are good. Mm. Um, pecans are though. Pecans, pecans are, are delicious on their I own. I love pecan pie. I love pecan. I love pecan <sighs> pie as well. Amazing. Yeah, I love. I love That's it. That's why I love Thanksgiving, just for pecan pie. Yeah, we don't have Thanksgiving. We're gonna make Thanksgiving for us. You can have it. <laughs> I think what was Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving was something though anti-English or something. Uh, There's a reason why English people don't think don't celebrate. It Thanksgiving. was the pilgrims who um, that left England. Yeah. That, le- that uh, left England, yeah. and then they were celebrating having left England, and we were like, "Oh no, come back!" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, that's what they said. So, wha- so again, why is this your one of your favorite? Dishes? Is there anything other than the taste that makes this your favorite? Is it is it the memory with your uh, aunt or grandma? Yeah, my aunt. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess um, I don't know. I used to hate it. So really? when I was little. I hated this dish. I thought it was too much. And then as, I, as I've gotten older, I've started really liking it. And now it's my favorite. So when I was little, it was gourmet sabzi. That's funny because I hated gourmet sabzi when I was a kid. Oh, really? I, I thought it was too, I don't know, like too much of a grown-up taste for me. Now, I love it. Oh, really? And, and, and I, I can't say, I'm not sure which one I love more because it depends on what I'm looking for. If mm. I don't want anything as sweet, I go, I go gourmet sabzi. Mm. But I'll do this as well. But growing up it, as a kid, it was kubi day. Cello kebab. Oh yeah, all day. I mean, yeah, yeah definitely. That's sta- standard. Love that as it's well. It's a national dish. Um, anyway, I'm hungry now. Yeah, <laughs> you need to. You need so to we're eat. gonna eat this. I want to say thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having um, me. This has been great. Yes, we want to. I want you to come back on the show and and tell us more about the progress of Spoke. Um, I love what you're doing, and thank you for being inspirational. No, thank you as well. All right. Well. Cool. Later, guys. I'm hungry.